Welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show with Landon Witt. You are about to learn hyper-local market knowledge happening right now in the Oklahoma City real estate market. This is your fresh weekly report on housing conditions in Oklahoma City that will enable you to make smarter investment decisions and gain insight on local trends. Landon is a genuine, self-made top realtor in Oklahoma City with millions of dollars in real estate closed every year and hundreds of satisfied clients. He's top rated by sites like Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, and Homes.com. He's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, property manager, and residential broker who's worked with clients from all over the globe to help achieve their real estate goals. This program will help you gain the much sought after hyper-local information that's vital to making real estate decisions, whether you live right here in the city or across the country. Welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Here is your host, Landon Witt, with this week's Daily Market Update. Episode 21 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. On today's show, interest rates rising. Are they out of control? Is our market gone to the ditches? We talk with Donnie from Valor Bank uh, to answer just that question. All right, on to market data. Market data provided by Oakmar, the local area MLS. License number 174290. Let's get that market news out to you. Last seven days, we just saw 168 homes enter the market in Oklahoma City. Again, these metrics coming from 10 square miles and around. Last week, uh, or week before last, we saw 143 homes come on the market. Uh, we're looking at a 25% increase uh, in inventory week over week. Uh, currently right now in Oklahoma City. So if you didn't find anything this last week, uh, chances are you're going to find something this week because the inventory has increased. Um, sold homes, for those that are waiting on their home to sell or maybe you're thinking about coming on the market, uh, week before last, ending the month, we had 198 homes sold. And then getting into this first week of October, 63 homes. Now, again, before you run, oh, nothing's selling. Relax. The beginning of the month is always on the low side. And the reason why is, again, that prepaid interest that you pay on a, on a mortgage means that we always try to schedule those closings towards the end of the month. And also, it just seems to be that people just seem to get under contract kind of towards the beginning of the month or, you know, in a way to where we just schedule that closing date for that middle to end of the month. It's interesting how that works. Um, so moving to a days on market average for the last seven days, if you're kind of wondering what's inventory doing in Oklahoma City, median, which is removing those outliers, the ones that are just crazy priced wrong or are maybe just priced too, too nice, uh, we're coming up with 15-day median score again. That's the same as last week. So we're looking at no change there, 15 days on the market. Uh, but if we look at that average, we're seeing 36 days on the market. So again, that's the average of all the homes then, those crazy ones that have been on the market for a while and those short ones, 36 days on the market. Why do I say this? Because when you're looking at the Zillow or, or you're looking at the MLS score and it says, you know, time on market, 55 days. 
Well, if you know the average time on market is 36 days and this property has been on the market 55 days, that automatically starts to kind of point you in the direction that maybe this home is a bit overpriced. So you can get some negotiation metrics in there. Moving on to the REO category, which is real estate owned by the bank. This is distressed property foreclosures that have happened. Uh, we were looking at those selling at $86 a square foot this last week. Uh, that's down from $97 a square foot the week before. Uh, five of those selling and eight, uh, five of those selling this week in, in Oklahoma City, uh, 10 square mile, and then eight the week before. Uh, average days on market for an REO right now or a foreclosed home, this also does include short sales, uh, is 44 days on the market. Last week, man, we had 79 day on the market average. Uh, so interesting to watch the REO market. What kind of markdown can you expect to get over list price? Well, this last week, we were looking at 12% discount, 12%. So if you take $100,000, you can take 12% off of that. So that's $12,000 uh, that uh, last week we were able to negotiate off of. So um, just depends, you know, as we're getting towards the end of the year, some of those banks that are looking like, well, we're coming up on January, we need to get that off of our inventory. Uh, sometimes they're more negotiation friendly on the price as we enter the end of the year. Again, we're coming to that fall uh, quarter. So um, moving on to, um, you know, just looking through these, these the rest of the metrics, we're holding pretty steady in the city. Um, this is the time of the year where we usually experience kind of that role reversal, where we flip into the, um, the you know, winter months. And we generally see about a 20% drop in overall activity um, in terms of amount of buyers and shoppers that are out there, but then the quality of the buyers goes up. So our numbers don't really change all that much. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about um, is the employment rate. Um, something that we're going to start bringing in the metric is population scores and unemployment. Now, those things aren't done on a weekly metric. So we're really going to kind of just look at them week over week in just terms of just checking them out on the on the research end of the show. And we'll bring it up if, if it's significant. But 3.9% uh, unemployment rate this year in Oklahoma City. Um, that is 0.5% lower than national average. That's a half a point lower than national average. And you know, when I was looking through the numbers here for what kind of career fields and stuff people were interested in and stuff, and what was the number one, um, still uh, professionals and healthcare uh, were taking the rank um, and and roughly um, about 600,000 uh, jobs uh, were, are, people are employed in, in the town. Uh, so that's kind of neat to see that metric. Um, and then looking forward, we have some more businesses that are coming in. But um, what do we think about the population growth? Well, um, we really don't know exactly what 2018's population is. So when we say 600,000 people are gainfully employed, well, how many people live here? Well, we do know from 2016 that roughly 638 thousand people lived here. So um, population can increase. Um, who knows exactly? We've talked several numbers with the Chamber of Commerce, some as high as 750, 800,000 we've seen. Um, so somewhere in that metric, but that still uh, doesn't add up when I look at 3.9% unemployment and then 
what is it, 620,000 or 610,000 jobs uh, are, are rated. So we still have a gap there. I think that, um, you know, you obviously have to take into account the, the youth population. You also have stay-at-home moms and dads that are choosing not to work. One spouse is working. So all in all, compared to national average, though, Oklahoma City, again, running that half a percent lower. So good stuff. On to the news. Well, actually, before we get to the news, let's talk about Homes of the Week. Homes of the Week under 750000 I have one that uh, caught my eye uh, downtown at the Hill. If you haven't been to the Hill yet, the Hill is a condo townhome community, luxury townhome community, home to one of the Thunder players. Um, actually, I think he sold that. Uh, recently, um, he had put a basketball court or basketball flooring uh, in his kitchen. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, not not my favorite choice, but uh, definitely for him, it was cool to have a free throw line right in your kitchen. Um, this one, though, 421 Northeast 1st Street. It's a townhome in the hill going for $740,000. Really a beautiful condo. Um if you look on the inside, you've got uh, just this beautiful open concept kitchen, beautiful wood floors. These um, townhomes, which, I mean, they're the size of a home. This thing's 2,527 square foot, 2,527 square foot. It's got a beautiful terrace on top that overlooks downtown, beautiful maintenance-free living. Um, uh, when you take into consideration the utilities of these things, this is a geothermal HVAC system that's in these. And what that is, is they're taking these hoses, right, and running them deep into the ground, and they get the temperature difference between the deep soil and the topsoil. And that's what generates part of the electricity. So your utility bills are less, and it's just more environmentally friendly. So I wanted to bring that up. Again, that's 421 Northeast 1st Street, 1st Terrace in the Hill. That's all. That's in the Deep Deuce community downtown. Moving further north, one five one three Northwest Twenty Ninth Street, cool little craftsman style bungalow, beautiful front porch, blue color. Love the blue, the wraparound front porch, and the kitchen, really well done with a with an island bar space and the granite countertop is. Or actually, you know what? That's a quartz countertop. The quartz countertop continuing far enough past where you can actually have seating underneath there and then having the, the storage area. You also have a, a nice bench area that's set up in the corner of the kitchen with some throw pillows on it. Or you, wouldn't, you can do whatever you want with it, but that kind of set up where you kind of have people hanging out there uh, in the kitchen, just kind of this gathering area. And then you can also put a table there. So you can kind of like a bench and then a table uh, in front of it. A beautiful white kitchen. White is so popular right now for the kitchen. Um, yes, it's harder to clean, but it's so beautiful. Really lightens the mood. You got beautiful beams running through the house. That one's definitely worth taking a look at. 235 is the price on that one. 1513 Northwest 29th Street. That's a three-bed, two-bath. Onward to the news today. Actually, this was on the 4th when they announced it, but I want to talk about it today. Ikea, the mother Ikea, for those of you that are that are 
you know, fortunate enough to not know about IKEA, IKEA is a superstore for cheap furniture. And this is furniture that you usually build yourself um, that is all kinds of unique, modern, you know, contemporary, uh, architecturally pleasing uh, pieces of furniture and fixtures that really uh, appeal to the eye. It's owned by a Swedish company. And it is, um, well, it's founded by a Swedish company. I think it's actually uh, owned differently, but um, Swedish-themed uh, uh, design from the inside out. These are huge buildings, 30,000 square foot. I mean, just massive, uh, big Walmart-sized furniture stores. Um, that is uh, proposing to come to um, Oklahoma City. Uh, and the area would be uh, on Memorial Road between Pennsylvania and Western is currently where they're starting construction on the Costco, not too far away from there. What does that mean for our market if we get an Ikea? Folks, you already know some of these flips that they're putting in where they've got cabinets that are falling apart already. Um, Ikea furniture is known as like disposable, right? You buy this furniture, if you go to move, eh, maybe you take it, maybe you don't. That's why you got a good price on it because it's it's basically disposable. Well, what happens when these home renovators start using disposable furniture in like, let's say, your vanity in your bathroom or your kitchen cabinets are then made out of Ikea uh, cabinetry? It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I know that when you get them wet, they swell. So uh, oftentimes uh, when you find, you can see like the, the cabinets when you're in a home, like the covering on them, you can kind of feel the edge and you can feel that, oh, wow, that's that's just a print that's over the top. And then in the inside is like powdered wood. It's crazy. Um, so something to look at. Um, maybe impact the flipping market, maybe not, but uh, a lot of folks like Ikea, so good stuff uh, coming there. Also in the urban core, there's been a lot of, uh, really thousands of, of rental apartments built over the last uh, several years in the urban core. Um, however, now the for sale apartment or lofts or townhomes and condos are really taking off. People are wanting to live in the urban core. They want to be able to walk places and kind of experience that community that you just don't get in that suburban house where everybody's kind of locked in their own separate house and they all use their SUVs to get to work. Whereas in this case, you're walking and then also you have a restaurant inside your building. You have a 24-hour concierge service that communicates with you when something's going on. You have that instant community feel as you enter. They can say, hey, Mr. Thomas, good to see you again. So this concept's really taking off and plans have been submitted for what's called the Elliott, which is an 80, I repeat, 80 story condominium project on a vacant lot in Midtown. This sucker is going to be 125 stories tall, or excuse me, 125 feet tall. 80-story condo project. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Oh, excuse me. Am I saying 80? No, I'm not. I don't mean 80. Gosh, that would be crazy. Eight. Eight-story, 125-foot-tall condo building downtown. If the plans get approved and they proceed with it, uh, it'll be interesting to see that one developed. 
Interest rates are coming and they're approaching. We've had several rate hikes in the last week in Oklahoma City. The news has been skittled with uh, reports of interest rates climbing. What does this mean for our economy? Well, usually it means the economy is doing really good. And the Fed raises those rates in response to that. And there's other metrics. So we've brought in the one and only Donnie from Valor Bank. He's the manager of their mortgage department. And he's going to be sharing with us uh, what does this mean to our market and how does it affect our decisions going forward when we have rate hikes on interest. Without further ado, here's Donnie from Valor Bank. Welcome to the show. Donnie, thank you. Welcome for, to the show today. Uh, it's a pleasure having you here uh, to discuss such an important topic. With the news going crazy, talking about interest rate hikes, interest rates are climbing, rush to the mountains, um, we need to talk about this. Uh, let's get real. How is this affecting Oklahoma City? Are the home prices on alert? Are sellers going to be in trouble now? Uh, how serious is this issue? Uh, but first, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Donnie Kime with Valor Bank. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm vice president of mortgage lending for Valor Bank. Um, I've been at the bank for three years now. And um, what I do is basically I, I make sure that our operations is running smoothly. I also originate so that I'm able to do my personal loans. Um, and, you know, one of the things that Landon had asked me to come on and talk about interest rates today, that's something that I find a very an interest in. So I kind of have a backstory that I kind of helps share and hopefully relate and share some information to your uh, borrowers or potential clients to kind of help, uh, you know, explain what's going on in the market so that we can put their minds at ease, um, given that we're still at historic lows currently um, for, for over, you know, the life of uh, mortgages. So, Sure. That's important to take the perspective, you know, not just this this very short window, but the full perspective. Okay. So for those that maybe clicked on this link and are watching this right now are going, oh my gosh, give me the quick answer. Um, so if you're looking for a $200,000 loan right now, is this, you know, how much are they expecting this thing to change? Sure. So one thing to keep in mind is that for every quarter of a percent in rate, you're talking about $30 a month. So in the big scheme of things, yes, over 30 years, you might be looking at, hey, that's going to equate to a lot of money. You know, if it's just a matter of monthly payment, maybe there's a few things you tweak in your lifestyle. Maybe it's not going out to eat or maybe it's not that coffee um, that you like. Uh, but in the big scheme of things, um, it's really not that much of a move. Um and most people are on their mortgage for five to seven years anyway. So they don't even see that full effect of a 30-year mortgage. So um, if you're looking at a half a percent jump in rate, maybe on a $200,000 loan, you're talking $60 or so on your monthly payment. So mm. yes, it is affecting it. But there's also a lot of different ways that um, we can look at loan options to help mitigate that increase in, uh, in rate. Maybe it's getting rid of PMI or mm. you know, some different things to kind of help you know, You're talking about that. the private mortgage insurance. That's correct. Private mortgage insurance mm. for a conventional loan. A little different with FHA. Sure. Since that won't fall off, but mm -hmm. um, there's definitely some different options that we can always look at there. 
So it's important then to look at it in terms of a full picture. I think some folks get in their mind, interest rate, interest rate, interest rate, but then it's really a little bit more complicated than that. Um, when we've got, like you said, you've got a conventional versus an FHA option. You also have how much you're bringing down. Uh, are you paying the PMI and how much PMI are you paying and how long are you paying that? Um, and then how long you're going to be in that house. Like you said, you know, I think the National Association of Realtors is saying anywhere between five to seven years is what the current uh, crowd is staying in their home. I mean, the days where they're going to stay there and pay their 30-year mortgage, I mean, <laughs> this is few and far between. So I, I think that's a good, healthy look. Well, we're going to go straight to uh, the, the listener questions. Um, Allison from Norman. Uh, thanks for writing in, Allison. Uh, she starts it off saying, Hi, Landon. We love the show. We currently live in Norman and rent an apartment. Our lease is not up until January. We were going to wait until January to start buying a home, but with interest rates on the rise, should we go ahead and break our lease and get a lower payment? So what I would say to that is I would definitely inquire about maybe purchasing sooner um, it really just depends on the trade-off between how much it would cost for, to break that lease uh, and then also to see kind of what current markets, uh, where rates are. You know, projection, um, you know, we're already seeing some some interest rates in conventional world over 5%. Um, you know, some lenders are maybe a little under 5%. It just kind of depends on who you go with. Um, FHA rates are, you know, in the mid-4 range. Um, so I would definitely say I would maybe look into doing an inquiry. Um, typically with most lenders, your credit is good for 120 days. Some lenders will offer an opportunity to look at even locking in a rate without having, um, even a property picked out. So you can kind of lock and shop it. Um, typically you can go out to like maybe 90 days on that. And then it gives you the ability to kind of hedge your bets and protect yourself from a raising rate. But I would say you just have to kind of weigh the options of how much would it cost me to break that lease um, as opposed to, hey, what is an extra maybe quarter in rate if I don't close till first of the year look like? So hmm. we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know exactly how much Fed, you know, how much the move will be in the market uh, for interest rates. But um, we can at least give you an idea of what you're looking at and, and give you a projection. Um, there's a lot of things that can impact rates. It's not always economic data. We may have geopolitical issues overseas, <laughs> sure. or it could be that we have a hurricane or a natural disaster that affects job numbers, kind of like this last time with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but it, there's a lot of different factors. But I would definitely say, hey, we're kind of in that last quarter of the year, Um maybe inquire with your mortgage lender to see, you know, what uh, your options would be. And also find out what your, your lease cancellation yeah, fee is. Absolutely. Some of these are crazy. They make you pay out the, the complete. Uh, Cody from Oklahoma City says, I recently got qualified for a home loan. The news keeps talking about rate hikes. Does that affect me or am I good because I'm already pre-qualified? So that's a great question. Just because you're pre-qualified doesn't mean that you're locked into an interest rate. So typically lenders will want to make sure that they have a contract uh, before a lender will, you know, lock in a rate uh, for a certain time period. If mm -hmm. you're closing on a in 30 days, maybe we look at locking you on a, 
a 30-day lock period. That means that typically you're going to get a little bit lower interest rate than locking it out on a 60-day lock interest rate. And what that means is if you lock it for 30 days, as long as you close in those 30 days, then that rate is guaranteed for the term that you, if you do a 30-year mortgage, that's what's going to be guaranteed. Hmm. You know, 60 days, as long as you're closing before then, then that's, you can always extend your rate locks. But that's once you're under contract. That's once you're under contract. Okay. Now, one of the things mm-hmm. that I mentioned earlier in the show mm-hmm. was some lenders will allow you the ability to do what they call like a lock and shop or something like that, where mm. you can do a TBD or to be determined address where you have the ability to lock out your rate on 60 to 90 days without having a property. And it doesn't matter if you change your um, loan amount or whatever. Mm. And so that protects them from raising rates. So, Interesting. You know, not all lenders that's offer not, that. I was going to say, that's not something you just go to your regular run of the mill and get. Sure. That's, uh, so what does that typically look like? Is that an extra fee they pay there, up front or? There is not. Now, there may be some lenders that do that, that charge mm-hmm. a fee. You know, we do not uh, charge a fee. You know, we, we can lock it out on 60 to 90 day lock. That A 60 mm-hmm. day lock is the the mandatory that we have to on a to-be-determined address. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no upfront fee there. And typically on a 60-day lock, um, you're going to see about the same interest rate as what you're going to see for a 30- or 45-day lock. Interesting. So Okay. So it's not – so it's, it's – now, this is always the wonder, right? What if interest rates go down while I'm locked? What do I do then? So typically lenders – will not want to necessarily bust your lock. Um, it's something that we have on our end as pull-through rates with our investors or you know, our servicing companies. Um, so we try to, unless they move substantially, um, typically you cannot renegotiate your rate lock. If they move a lot, then that's when we typically will look at renegotiating that rate lock it may not be the absolute bottom rate that you might be able to get, but it could be, let's say rates moved a quarter lower. Mm-hmm. You might be able to move your rate an eighth lower. Mm. Um, it just depends on the scenario. Now, if if they moved a lot, um, obviously we would look at trying to get them the best deal possible. So if that meant that we just had to bust a lockout, then you know we would look at doing that and fixing that for them. So. And that's something I don't think a lot of the big guys uh, will do. Um, I, I think, uh, and when I mean big guys, I mean like uh, Wells Fargo, you know, some of these larger institutions where, quite honestly, I've had feedback from from uh, buyers that, hey, you know, I feel like a number. You know, when I call, it's like, you know, I'm on hold. I'm talking to five, six different departments and getting transferred over here and w- waiting on hold there. Um, and they really don't take that personal situation into account, whereas I feel like a regional bank really does, or a local bank uh, is able to do that. So that's interesting. Um, so for a Cody situation, it sounds like if he's really concerned going forward, he needs to inquire about this 30 or 45 or 60-day lock where he can shop and lock, or lock mm. and shop. Uh, so that's great. Um, uh, also, from the lender's perspective, if they, you know, just let you get whatever low rate you ever wanted, mm-hmm. well, that's not any guarantee for them as well. So it's kind of a two-way street on the lock. Is sure. That they're kind of committed to that. As sure. Well. So typically when we lock, you know, the borrower's committing to us as a lender like, hey, look, mm-hmm. yes, I am comfortable with that rate. And it protects them in case rates go up. So the mm-hmm. lender's taking that risk. 
Yep. And so, therefore, we kind of expect, you know, kind the of same the same return. thing in sure. return uh, because, you know, we're hedging our money and we have to pay off, you know, fees and losses if if we bust sure. out too many locks. So it, it is one of those things that, um, you know, we kind of hope that they will, um, you know, a borrower will understand that, hey, we're protecting against higher rates, but it also mm-hmm. is, you know, you may not be able to get a lower rate if they if they drop just a little bit. So. So you had mentioned something about forecasting loan rates. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about how you do that on kind of a micro scale here in Oklahoma City? I mean, how how are you forecasting uh, to your clients? I mean, I've heard you were telling me stories where you can 30 minutes before a rate change lock some people in uh, before the rate change. I mean, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, how does that work? So there are different um, applica- app- apps and uh, subscriptions that, you know, a lender can maybe subscribe to where that's all these guys do. They they watch the market, uh, mortgage-backed securities, and interest rates aren't necessarily tied to a 10-year treasury, but they tend to follow the 10-year and so this may get too technical, but I actually subscribe to an app that tells me what is going on in the market as it happens. So typically an investor, you know, with rates changing, we will see rates maybe change um, an hour after I already get notification that they're going to happen. And that's because the guys that are doing the, the, the you know, uh, mortgage-backed security pricing right then, Mm-hmm. They're kicking that information almost immediately out, so mm-hmm. so that we kind of know what's going to happen, um, you know, the next thirty minutes to an hour. And and so then your institution hasn't quite responded quick enough. Then is that is that kind of where the the latency is? Is it's you're locking it in at the local rate, but it's already changed at the national rate? Is that? So basically what will happen is whenever we get these live updates, we may see a deterioration in the market. So we know, hey, there's a sell-off in the bond, so that's going to affect interest rates are going about to go up. Well, typically there's about a 30-minute to an hour lag before all of the national averages get moved over. Mm-hmm. And so it allows us, if we time it right, to go ahead and get that better pricing before you know, they change it. So mm. what I tell my loan officers, you know, whenever it's happening, I'll say, hey, your rates are about to change. You know, if you have any that you need to lock, let's go ahead and lock them. If if they're getting better, I kind of tell them the same thing. Hey, we yeah. might wait till Hang this afternoon. Sure. There may be a rate change for the better. Now, one of the things that I we typically see is a deterioration. They're going to change almost immediately within the hour. Mm. Uh, a reprice for the better. Mm-hmm. They typically change it a few hours because they want to see if the market will kind of, you know, settle back down. So sure. we tend to see improvements take a little bit longer than deterioration. Mm. Interesting. So yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So we're going into this game uh, of buying a home and getting the best rate, and it is. It feels like a game, uh, you know. I mean, with money on the line too. So having a bank that can really follow that, man, that sounds super important in this process. Um, also, um, we've got the down payment, we've got the interest rate figured out, we've locked into it, and now something went wrong in renovations, or the the TRR, the repairs get delayed, or maybe, um, you know, the, the buyer goes on, you know, a work assignment, and we have to delay that closing date. Um, what happens then when the contract, we now have to move the closing date past where your rate lock is? 
Sure. So that's a great question. Um, every lender is going to be a little bit different in this scenario. Um, if we have to extend your rate lock, sometimes the rate lock extension can be free. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it will cost a little bit. Um, every Again, every lender is a little different. Um, so, for instance, if it's going to extend and it's not going to be free and you have to extend it 10 days, it may be 20 basis points. So on a $200,000 loan, it may cost $400 to extend that rate lock. Um, for that period of time. Um, we try to work with the borrowers as much as we can because we know that some things are just out of their control. Um, you know, sometimes a seller may say, hey, yes, we understand it was ours. So then maybe they contribute towards maybe more sellers' co- contributions to hmm. closing costs, offset that. Sure. Um, but we definitely try to work with the the client to to kind of um, limit that uh, that cost to them. But just because your your rate's going to expire and you have to extend, that doesn't mean you're going to lose your interest rate because rates are now, you know, a quarter, half a percent higher. We can look at doing an extension to mm-hmm. to uh, keep that same rate. Okay. And a question that I, I mean, I don't even understand really how this works. Uh, this part of the show, we usually get pretty technical. Most of our listeners that are just here for the market report, they kind of chime out in the first 10 mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, and then we kind of get a little technical towards the end for the real real estate buffs that watch the complete show. Um, so buying down rates, okay, don't really understand how that works. How, how, is, how does that, what is that concept? How, how does that come together? Sure. So in any loan scenario, the borrower has the ability to buy down their interest rate or what they call a discount point. That discount point now, full disclosure, talk to your CPA. I'm not for sure 100% with these new uh, tax laws that have changed, but in the past they've been tax deductible. So you can actually get a tax deduction off of that, uh, mm. buying that point down. Um, so what buying... Because it's a fee. It yeah. is. It's a fee. Yeah. And so basically what uh, a borrower can do is, let's say the rate today is um, 4875. If they wanted to get their rate to 475 or 4625, um, as a lender, we would tell them, hey, to get to that rate, it may cost... Um, a quarter of a percent, meaning at 25 basis points, it could cost a half a percent. Sometimes it costs more than that. It just depends on how low you want to buy that rate down. Um, but it, it's just a one-time fee at closing. It's a discount point. And then um, they're locked into that lower rate um, for the life of that loan. So it just it allows them to get a little bit lower payment. Uh, for a small fee. And so what we look at doing is, hey, what is the break even there? Mm-hmm. Um, how long are you going to be in the house? Mm-hmm. If it if it lowers your monthly payment by, you know, $30 and it's, uh, you know, $1,000 to buy it down, you know, maybe are you going to be in this long enough to where that savings offsets that cost? And then if so, then if you have the extra money, maybe we do look at buying that down. Hmm. Uh, is it is it the the actual investor that gets that money up front or is it is it that that the the originator is getting that discount point up from the start and then selling that that getting that lower rate or you know in, in other words who's making that decision of okay to give this lower rate it's going to be this percent 
Is it the investor or is it the originator or, or is it both or how does that work? That's a great question. So sure. as a lender, we have signed up and, and not everybody's like this, but most mm-hmm. everybody is signed up with, you know, bigger investors that will buy the servicing, whether it's a Wells Fargo or uh, Flagstar Bank or U.S. Bank or some of these bigger Fannie Freddie directly. Mm-hmm. And so um, they give us rate sheets every single day. And as a lender or a bank, um, we build in our margins of what we need to make to be profitable, to pay our loan officers, to pay our processing. Right, do the front end. Exactly. Keep keep open. And so what that does is then that will then determine what, you know, if we're not meeting our, what we need to make, then Mm -hmm. basically we'll just have to charge the discount to meet that. The margin, exactly. yeah, the margin difference. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. So it's so the investor doesn't really care whether somebody's doing a buy down or not because they're not even seeing that portion of it. Okay, correct. They will not see that until they end up maybe buying that loan to service it or something like that. So I gotcha. So, but but that is more the discount mm-hmm. point is determined by the actual originator or lender that you're working with. Gotcha, gotcha. So that's an important distinction. Um, I always had thought that that the investor somehow was getting involved in that part of the game uh, because they were saying, you know, well, we're going to get less money at the end of this loan cycle because of the lower interest rates. So we'd rather just take some quick cash now. Um, but it sounds like it's not that at all. It's it's you're saying, OK, here's what it costs to get a rate at that. And here's what we're going to be making. Uh, we're going to we're going to charge the difference to be able to facilitate that for you now. What if somebody is in a, a credit risk category? Let's say a subprime borrower, um, and it's like, you know, hey, they got kind of a bad credit score, and they think that uh, I'm just going to come in and, and and pay extra to get that better rate. Mm-hmm. Does that exist? Do you get that option when you have a low credit score? Yes, you do. You are the same as someone that has a perfect borrower, a perfect credit score. Um, you mm-hmm. know. Again, I'll I'll just kind of say this: every lender is different. Um, some lenders will go below six hundred credit score. Mm-hmm. Some will not. Um, on a conventional loan, you're going to see more price adjustments based off of their credit score. It's typically every uh, twenty points in your credit score below seven hundred and forty mm-hmm. on the credit scale, mm-hmm. um, and that's twenty points below seven forty. So we're seeing notches. Yeah. Happening. So seven forty and above on a conventional loan would you're be gonna a prime be, borrower. You're going to be a prime borrower. You know, seven thirty nine to seven twenty. You're going to get dinged a little bit on the rate, mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a lower rate than someone at a seven forty. Again, it just depends on where that bank's margins are. If they're making over um, or less, they can their their rates may be the same. They may be a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. But as you go go lower. Mm-hmm that difference increases. And so that's where we start looking at the different loan programs because FHA for most lenders does not really care if you're a 640 or an 800 credit score. Some lenders like Valor Bank, mm-hmm. we don't have a difference in rate. So on an FHA loan, so mm-hmm. um, we don't, not until you start getting a little bit lower, you know, 620, 600, below 600, um, that maybe you get a little bit worse rate, but you know we're still seeing some phenomenal rates um, for even those some of those subprime because it's uh, not always about just credit, right? We get right. the debt to income ratios sure. and all that that are sure. playing into the metric. And uh, now, it, let's say for example, somebody's been 
you know, if, if they're self-employed versus a W-2 employee, that's always a big question, you know. Um, if it's apples to apples, does the W-2 employee get a better rate than the uh, self-employed? If it's if it's straight across the board, they, they, they meet the same qualifications, do we get different rates for, for self-employed? No, it's the, the same. So um, we when we look at the, the main factor there is what is their credit score and what is their debt ratio? Now, mm-hmm. the debt ratio doesn't really affect or it does not affect their interest rate. What that would affect is if they have private mortgage insurance on a conventional loan. Mm-hmm. That's when the debt ratio matters. Gotcha. And the credit score. So there's a lot of different factors with. Well, I was going to say your debt to income ratio. Well, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's different from uh, the amount of credit you're using on a credit card. Right. You know, that's right. that ratio would be the amount of debts you have to pay off uh, compared to what you're bringing in each month. Correct. So, OK. But uh, but no, they would get the same interest rate. So. Uh, we Interesting. We, yeah. we don't have a. So interest rate is determined by credit score. Your MI, your your mortgage insurance is determined by your debt to income ratio and credit score and credit score. Yes. Okay. Now your rates are also dependent on your loan to value. Mm. So what that means is if you're buying, it's it's the difference between what you're actually lending and borrowing versus what you're buying the house at. So if you're putting five percent down. Um, oddly enough, you're actually going to get one of your better interest rates than if you put down 20%. Now, this is going to blow mm. everybody's mind. And yeah. this is one of the things okay. that is the hardest. Warning, thing to, crazy alert. This is one of the hardest things to explain. But on a conventional loan, and I, sorry if I'm going into. No, this is, the, this is the guru section of the show. So, so typically, when you have mortgage insurance, um, the lender looks at that as, hey, yes, there's more risk, but we have this private mortgage insurance to protect us in case of default. Mm, right. Because basically what that is is an insurance policy to protect against the default. And if it does, it's been underwritten with MI to mm. protect the losses. Whereas at 20% down, you're just out of that threshold to where you don't, you're not required to have mortgage insurance. Mm, right, so then right, the right. lender's like, okay, they're just outside of that. Mm. And if they default, then we're a little bit more. Instead of exposed. insurance, we still have to sell the house. Right. Yeah. So yeah. there is actually a break between 80% and 75% down, where it's actually slightly worse rate than if you have mortgage insurance. Or if you put 25% down, because then the lender is looking at it from, a oh, well, there's a little bit more equity in case we have to sell this. So there's less and risk. And insurance. Yes. Yeah. Now, that doesn't always mm. equal a worse rate. Mm. That depends on the pricing for the day and how the lender is pricing that loan. So everybody is different. Um you know. So how does that work from the lender side when somebody defaults on a loan with mortgage insurance? Is that something you just call them up and you say, hey, you know, he defaulted. I'd like to pay my deductible, you know, and, and they, they say, here's your cash. No, no, no. That's a little bit different. You know, yeah. we, you know, obviously there's the, you know, foreclosure process and all of that. But those those uh, policies that we're paying basically for the MI is, sure. is something that 
you know, is dealt with on the back end. And there's a whole, that's a whole nother yeah. story that, yeah, that's, that's, that even I don't yeah. really grasp exactly. I was going to say, yeah, because that, that's the, always a wonder is like, oh man, we walk into some houses that are REOs and they are just jacked up. I mean, you got to think, usually when somebody defaults on their payment, they've, something's been happening for a while, mm -hmm. okay? They, and they usually pay their payment. I mean, they want the roof over their head first, you know? So they've, they've not paid other things to pay that mortgage payment. And so that often translates to repairs that maybe, you know, they could put off a little longer, like the leaky faucets and the electrical outlets and these kind of things go on and on and on. And then you get Maybe the kids are a little rowdy and they kick holes in the walls and they don't get fixed because we don't really have the funds. And you end up with a property that now is is worth a lot less than what they bought it. So sure. I could see how the private mortgage insurance is much more beneficial to the bank than just an, an open uh, guarantee that, oh, yeah, well, you'll get the house back. Yeah, well, we may not want the house back, mm -hmm. you know, so sure. it makes perfect sense. Well, you're a busy man. I appreciate you coming by today. Um, you've answered some great questions. Um, is there anything else we forgot or anything you want to touch on? No, I appreciate you letting me come on and, and share kind of uh, my knowledge and information with with you and your listeners. Um, if anybody needs a mortgage, we're happy to talk to them about it, kind of educate them. That's one thing that we like to do at Valor is, hey, even if it's just answering some questions, um, we're happy to do it. Um, doesn't necessarily mean you have to use us. Obviously, we love for you to, to work with us sure. um, and get you some quotes. And again, with raising rates, look at possibly giving you a rate lock before having that property. Um, but the uh, lock and shop, that's cool. That is a yeah, cool feature. That is a, that is a kind of a game changer with a raising rate environment. Sure. And something that we didn't talk on and I'll, I'll mention this. If you have a, uh, new construction, okay, we can do an extended rate lock program. Some of them are all the way out 360 days when you're building, when you're yeah. building a house. Interesting. And so that's something now typically those mm -hmm. are going to have an upfront cost. Gotcha. Sometimes it's refundable and it can be credited to you at closing hmm. um, as long as you close. Or sometimes it's non-refundable, meaning that, hey, you're just trying to protect yourself and um, it's an upfront Here's cost. what the option period ex costs. Ex exactly. Yeah, sure. Um, so if you have hmm. buyers that are looking for new construction, those are some things to maybe ask your lender. What, what do you have? What does that look like? I would um, think that that would be important for both sides in that party. Uh like the interest rate goes up so high that the person doesn't qualify for the loan anymore. Sure. Yes. And now you got, you know, now the builder's going, yo, you know, I just built this whole house custom sure. for you. Sure. So I would think that's a win-win for both sides. I mean, in negotiation, if you can say, Hey, my buyer is locked in for, you know, nine months, you know, you're not going to have to worry about the interest rate stopping this deal, mm -hmm. Mr. Builder. Um, I think that's big, yeah. Um, especially for somebody doing custom work. Oh man, I mean, some of these people make decisions, and I mean, you know, I am all for customizing a home, you know. But when you go outside the boundary of what can be bought and sold in the fair market, sure, everybody gets nervous on those transactions. Sure. So that's just another layer. And with those extended rate locks, um, they would have the ability to do a float down option. So mm. that meaning if rates get better, then they can float that down typically within 60 days of closing on the new house. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, those are some things to take into consideration. And 
And again, not to be necessarily freaked out by these raising interest rates. Again, they're historic. They're still at historic. Still lows. historically, I'm I sure. looked at a uh, an article, sure. um, 1981, I believe. Interest rates were at 18 percent. Wow. Wow. 18%. What's that, like 1940, uh-huh. 1950, somewhere in there? 1981. 1981? That's what I read. It was. It said 1981. That's right. It there went is. from like 8% to 18%. Holy cow. And then back down. That's crazy. So, you know, there are people in our lifetime that have seen double-digit sure. rate hikes, you know. So, anyways. Wow. Well, Donnie, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. If you got questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us anytime at landon at okcreal.com, or you can also visit okcrealestateshow.com. There's a listener feedback at the bottom of the website. You can fill out your questions. We'll read them on the air if we can. If not, I will get back to them in email form just as quick as we can. Thanks for watching the show. 